0: This is The Restoration Project, a young church planted in Salisbury, Maryland. We'd love for you to join us for worship sometime. We meet Sundays at 5.30 p.m. at 1401 Camden Avenue. Our current message series is going through the Gospel of Mark. Let's join Pastor Josh James as he continues to explore this gospel. This week was spring break for some of you and we applaud your efforts there. Um, for a lot of us, it, it was not. I've kind of felt over the past um, little bit that as we've, as we've dipped into the book of Mark, that Jesus has been calling us to action. And a lot of times I think you expect your pastor or one of your pastors to, to live that out, and goodness, I'm trying, but in the midst of rethinking some of the, the previous week's messages, having time to sit and, um, reflect, I guess, has demonstrated my own weaknesses in my life. I hope that as we, as a community, begin to look at this book of Mark and step into that narrative and that ancient world and pull out some application for our present day, that it doesn't just stay in this room, but it's something that actually transforms us as we leave. Looking around the room, there's a lot of stories, individual stories, that I'm not familiar with that I don't know, Um, but I hope that, that this isn't just part of your regular routine, I hope that this reading of the gospel and this teaching and these songs and this time of fellowship and communion is truly life transformational for you. Um, so having said that, we're going to continue with our study in the book of Mark. This is Mark chapter 2. We've got a few verses that we're looking at this evening. This is beginning in verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the disciples and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. I'm rethinking this at this very moment. <laughs> this past week um, I got our power bill and that was a moment of um, trying for me. When I looked at what was happening, what was going on, I knew that I had to make a call, and I was dreading it because I know that the people on the other end of those lines receive calls like mine, calls where people are a bit um, concerned, concerned consumers questioning uh, certain practices and and bills. And as I was halfway through this conversation, I was keeping it together, I was very composed, I was very self-aware, I knew what was happening, I was apologetic, I was apologizing to this young lady on the other end of the phone, letting her know, like, I understand what's happening here. I know that you have nothing to do with this. I just need to talk to somebody about what's going on in my life (laughs) and my my power bill in particular. Um, We got nowhere. For some reason, though, and again, this is uh, just, there's a couple different schools of thought in pastoring. One is you keep all your dirty laundry to yourself. That's not the school that I attended, so brace yourselves. Um, as soon as the phone hung up, it was phone into the couch, like ringing of the hands. What's going on? Words being said. Things were happening in my life where I was wondering what in the world was wrong with me as a person. It was a moment in life that, that come every here and there where it was completely out of my control. And it was something that I was trying to hold it together. But I was very, very, very aware that for a lot of people, folks that work at these kinds of companies where we need to have the lights on and we need to have the TV on and we need to be able to cook and we need to be able to do this, like a lot of times they're objects of disdain in our life. This is not a commentary on Delmarva Power or any other power company. This is more of a commentary on us as human beings and our incessant need to have what we want and to have it cheaply and to have it immediately. If this doesn't speak your language, perhaps uh, this speaks your language. We're heading right into tax season, and for some of you, it's a great time of rejoicing where you get that refund check, and for others of you, you say to yourself, I haven't made two dimes all year, and yet I still owe the government, and the government becomes like that object of our disdain. For others of you, it's lovely companies like Comcast or for the Delaware folks, Mediacom, where you need your internet, and there's nothing that you can do other than the old threat of I'm bringing in my box and I'm calling it quits and hoping that somehow they, they cut you a break on that. For others of you, it's your phone and how you pay for 4G and you demand to have 4G service. And those, those calls that you have with these people, it's, they become in your life objects of disdain. And you, in a sense, take away the humanity of the people on the other end of the phone. I don't know if anybody can relate to these sorts of situations or if this is this is just my own weaknesses coming to bear here but it seems as though for us as a people a lot of times there's persons in our life and in our daily and weekly and monthly routines that we view as the enemy This is sort of the context in which um, Jesus is living in this moment where he comes across a man named Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. For us in in our moment in time, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But for an ancient reader, they would have paused and said, whoa, this was truly the object of their disdain. This was the enemy. This was the person who was taking their money. This was the person who was, uh, in a sense, working for the Roman government and oppressing their own people. This was someone completely on the outskirts and, and outside of the margins of the religious life of Israel at the time. It's thought that, that Levi was operating here in this region, which is... Um, Philips region. There was a guy named Herod the Great. This was the guy that was threatening to kill lots of babies when Jesus was born. Herod the Great died in 4 BC, which makes most people think that Jesus was actually born before zero. Okay, just stay with me. It's okay. Um, So Jesus was, was born and operating in that time. And here, after Herod passes away, the land is kind of divvied up to his kids, we have Philip here in uh, the Galilee region, and Levi would have been stationed here on the borders separating Antipas' land from Philip's land up here, and then we see Archelaus' land down here. So, Levi is guarding the border in a sense, and whenever someone was entering into Antipas's region, they would collect taxes from these people. Um, N.T. Wright says, just as today you often pay a toll for the privilege of crossing a border or even for using an airport or a motorway, a highway, so you had to pay a toll to cross from one part of the old kingdom into another. And this is what Levi is doing. Another scholar says more specifically, Levi was probably functioning as a toll collector on transported goods. So it's not just you come into the region and you have to pay a flat tax. It's you're getting your goods being searched and then they're demanding slash requesting payment for the transportation of those goods. This job was farmed out to the highest bidder. So Levi was the one saying, I want this job and going after this job. Perhaps if you could dig into his story, there might have been reasons that were leading him to this very desperate option, but one of those reasons would be to make money. This person then was at liberty to charge the folks traveling whatever they wanted. So in this context, Levi and his job, they were looked at with disdain by the, the normal traveling person. Israelite and otherwise where they would have to pay the man, the government, some of their hard earned perhaps money. In Luke 3, we see how this usually plays out for tax collectors. Um, this is in John the Baptist when he's baptizing folks before Jesus shows up, says even tax collectors should be baptized teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to. So it seems like the underlying implication is that in this line of work, they had a knack for ripping people off. They had a knack for asking for more money than they were really due. And in this moment, uh, these were people that were not looked highly upon. Yet, as Jesus is going through this toll booth, whatever that looks like, he pauses and affords Levi a slice of humanity and says, follow me. This is not a moment where crazy pastor Josh is on the line talking to Delmarva Power, wondering what in the world's going on with his power bill. This is a moment where the king of the universe pauses and connects eyes perhaps with Levi and says, I understand, come with me. I introed this whole thing by, by hoping that we can see Jesus and what he's doing and be challenged by that. And here is one challenge right off the bat, allowing ourselves to see the humanity of people that we have already written off, the people that we deem to be enemies or other than or on the margins or outside of our little spheres where we're safe and we're comfortable and in some way begin to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Allowing ourselves to open up our lives to people that we might not have expected ourselves to do in the past. Allowing ourselves really to be transformed by the radical love of Jesus so much so that the world around us sees it and benefits from it instead of just hiding it for ourselves, sharing that with others. So we learn something here very quickly from from Jesus and his call. We also see how this plays out. This is not just an empty invitation to the enemy of the general populace at the time to come hang out with this crazy, radical rabbi who's doing things that are really off the grid. It coalesces into something else. It's interesting that when we look at these texts, and I'm as guilty of this as the next person, I mean, I'm the one that made these slides, we oftentimes pose the question to others as though we are not the ones on the outskirts and outside of the margins, as if we are the one on this line, side of the line doing the yelling and not the one on the other side that's receiving the disgust of people. There's a question here too where Jesus says to the one who might not be very befriended at the moment and says, follow me. And we can learn from that by inviting other people into that story, but we can also stop for a moment and self-assess if we are truly following Christ and what that looks like in our lives, not just in the next 30 minutes here, but as we leave, as we go to work, as we get power bills and internet bills and phone bills, and that thing starts to bubble up in us and we have those conversations. If it's more personal, where it's the people that have hurt you or talked about you or done things to you, allowing ourselves to be transformed so that we become ambassadors of Jesus' love in the midst of very difficult times. The result in this uh, story, as I've said, is a a meal that's shared. It says while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, it's unclear whose house this actually is. Some people are split. Some people would say that it's Jesus's house. Some people would say that it's Peter's house. Some other people would say that it's Levi's house. The, The stakes go up a little bit if this is Levi's house because Jesus is in their world. He is becoming a part of this rogue group of people that was not necessarily accepted within the religious society of the day. But it's also interesting to note that it says while Jesus was having dinner, the Greek term there is reclining at the table. And at the time, what would happen is you would set up like these little couches and you'd lay on your side and you'd get your food and you would kind of eat on your stomach. It does not look comfortable whatsoever. If you've ever like laid on the couch and tried to drink some orange juice, it's not a good thing, I don't recommend it. Um, or if you say, honey, bring out some, some fruit, I'd like to lay on the couch and like eat the fruit on the ottoman. It's sort of what's happening here. I don't know if that's your story, but that's not, yeah, I'm getting weird looks, it's okay. So this, this is kind of what's happening, but, but the interesting part of this is this is not how every Jewish meal was observed. This is how Jewish meals were observed during feast times, specific moments in the calendar where they were celebrating something. It's almost as if this is saying the moment where Jesus is hanging out with Levi, the tax collector, and the sinners, it was a feast. It was a banquet. It was a real moment. It wasn't just some happenstance where they're traveling. And this, this takes place. It's something that was a bit more intentional. It says, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed them. This is Larry Hurtado. He says, we must understand that generally in the ancient Near Eastern lands, sharing a meal was considered a significant and even intimate social contact, establishing a bond among those who partook. There is every reason to believe that Jesus shared this view and that his eating with these sinners was intended to signify and to communicate acceptance of them and forgiveness of sins. This was more than just laying on a weird table and eating grapes. This was more than just spending time with people. This was a significant moment where Jesus was saying to the religious community, to his disciples, to whoever had eyes to see it, these people are in These people that you have written off that are on the margins, that are disdained, that you have probably spit upon and chewed out and cursed up and down, these people are with me. I think that just even framing that sets into context this radical love of Jesus that is not exclusionary, this radical commitment that he has to his people that goes beyond the bounds that we have established that goes beyond the bounds of who we think look okay, talk okay, act okay. And he just crushes those boundaries and opens his arms to allow other people to come in. For me, this is a very significant moment in the early parts of Jesus' ministry in the book of Mark where he's setting the context for, hey, religious leaders, it's not what you think it is. The people that you believe are in, it might not be those people. I've actually got another crew over here who are demonstrating love and forgiveness and mercy, and they are truly following me. Joel Marcus says the Pharisees who form themselves into pure eating fellowships. This is a huge deal throughout the New Testament. Who you sit with at the table kind of, in a sense, determines your religion and your relationship with God. If you were caught at the table with the wrong people, you might be deemed to be out. So for the Pharisees, they're seeing this and they are like separating themselves from, from the pack with regard to who they have over for dinner, but it says, who formed themselves into pure-eating fellowships in order to avoid such ritual contagion. Being with these people, it was something that would actually make them unclean. They would have seen Jesus's courting of impurity as a reckless act, eliciting the question from the Pharisees, why does he do this? I think that somewhere along the way, our version of Jesus has become very tame, very safe very individualistic. We receive from Jesus salvation and the forgiveness of sins and we are allowed to to enter into heaven because of his his work. I think a lot of times we miss how crazy he was and the way that he demonstrated that uh, to the world around him was not safe and it was not normal and it went beyond the status quo. And I know that in my own life, it's very safe, it's very status quo. I don't wanna rock the boat. I just kinda of want to exist a lot of times. There's so many issues in our world today even where lines are being drawn in the sand and it seems as though at times the church is, is timid. It seems as though as us as individual believers we just kinda of wanna exist without fighting for inclusion and fighting for love. The result of this ultimately ties back to the beginning of chapter one where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand, it's happening and I'm bringing it. This is another moment where we see Jesus not doing a healing, not doing a casting out of demons, not doing something that seems super crazy, but here just eating with these people was a significant moment of bringing in the kingdom. Jesus, when he heard this conversation that was happening, he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. The questions that we can ask ourselves from this text are, are simple. First, who is it that we eat with? Think about that metaphorically, but also literally. Who are the people that we are surrounding ourselves with? Have we just become folks that stay in a holy huddle and have Bible studies and hold hands and sing kumbaya? Or are we a people that actually includes others and brings them in to have gospel fruit bearing conversations? Are we the type of people that can see folks on the margins, on the outskirts, and invite them in and say, You are loved, you are wanted, and through Christ and his sacrifice, you can be redeemed. Or are you, like me, oftentimes, existing in the status quo? Also, why are we so quick to self-identify as the healthy and not the sick? Somewhere along the way in our stories, we've kind of written ourselves into the righteous camp. And I think a lot of us have forgotten where we came from We've forgotten what we were called out of. We, were, we have forgotten the fact that Jesus has saved us from our sins, our infirmities, our weaknesses. Like in my own story, this, these moments that I have of not being holy, that's all part of it. Through Christ and through his spirit, like indwelling in us, we are all on this journey of becoming more and more and more like him. And I would challenge all of us not to forget where we came from. Paul says we were once destined for wrath and destruction, but Christ was rich in mercy, has saved us. Don't forget where we came from, and don't forget that transformation that hopefully has taken place in our life so that we can share that with others and invite them into this beautiful story of redemption and hope. Finally, how is it that we demonstrate the inbreaking of the kingdom? If Jesus really, when he showed up, he did something that was different and he allowed people to go um, about their life in a different way, if he changed them and transformed them and turned the, the world on its head and did things differently, how is it that we give life to that in the decisions that we make each and every day? I hope that we can become a bit unsettled in our complacency. I hope that as we, even as we begin to come up here and take communion, that we understand the sacrifice that was wrought on our behalf and live in light of it, allowing people to see God's goodness and God's grace, allowing... People to hear those words, follow me, allowing people to hear you are forgiven, allowing people to think for just a second that maybe, just maybe, the things that have held them down in the past are not so great that Jesus cannot redeem them. I think that in some ways, it starts with us and a commitment to loving people in a radical, Jesus-y sort of way where we not only have eyes to see the broken and the hurting and the oppressed, but we have the courage through the Spirit to step into their stories and afford them a different way, a better way, a way that is focused on kingdom and Jesus and forgiveness and love. Thanks for listening to this sermon from The Restoration Project. We hope you'll listen again as we continue through the Gospel of Mark. And join us as we gather to worship every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. at 1401 Camden Avenue. For more information on The Restoration Project, check out our website, RestoreSBY.org, or look us up on Facebook and Twitter.